from legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au. Coming up, the Ipswich City Council election and Ipswich West by-election campaigns are reaching fever pitch as we approach the final two weeks before Election Day on March 16. Former Ipswich councillor Cheryl Bromwich joins the show with further analysis and insights. It's Thursday, February 29, 2024, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. I caught up with Cheryl Bromwich again on February 28. I began by asking about the council election first and if there had been many election flyers through the letterbox. I've had nothing from council at all, and which I find a little bit surprising. There was a council newsletter that came out just after Christmas, but I've received nothing from the candidates in my letterbox, my PO box, or even my work PO box that's based in the CBD. Now, that is not surprising to me because I've had more than one person say there's a a distinct lack of flyers through letterboxes, and it may be division-specific, but there are obviously changes in campaign methods since you were first elected. There would have been a time you'd never miss letterbox drops. Absolutely. The first time around, you usually do one, so people actually get to know who you are and, you know, a little bit about your history because not everyone has social media, so you've got to play for the different demographics that are out there to get your message and your name out there. So I'm quite surprised that even the non-incumbents haven't actually put something out. Talking of the incumbents, what's the latest you're hearing? Should any of them be concerned? I think some should be concerned because you have to remember these people were elected during COVID and I know some of them actually didn't win on primary votes, but they actually got up on postal votes. So it'll be interesting because it'll be a totally different campaign that I think a lot of people would be more a stand-up pre-poll way rather than postal. So I think that might change a bit of the landscape. Talking of early voting, it starts on Monday. The trend is, in recent years has been for more people to vote early. Do you think this will continue? Absolutely. I think people have realised that, you know, the polling places for pre-poll are usually in business districts where people have employment, people have got children's sport on the weekends that they need to go to. So I think people now will pre-poll more than turn up on Saturdays. And you can understand why people want to do it that way. At this stage of the campaign, what are candidates focused on? Or more importantly, what should they be focused on? Well, it's quite interesting. I've been hearing a bit of a mixed sort of bag out there, but there's one theme that comes through is infrastructure. A lot of people are talking about the state of the roads, they want new roads, they want Curb and Channel, they want new connection points like the Norman Street Bridge or connection down in Springfield onto the Centenary Highway. But they're also talking about the congestion. So talking about the time they're waiting at the traffic lights now, they seem to be of dialed wait times a lot longer at those intersections. I think that's starting to resonate a lot around the community, especially around infrastructure and new infrastructure. But it just depends on some of the divisions because the Division 4 are looking at people with rural roads, same with Division 3 about sealing or gravel roads. Division 3, of course, is looking at the waste industry. 
So it's quite diverse, but there is that theme around infrastructure that seems to be really hot. Cheryl, you'll remember this uh, during your first term. Trevor Nardi was a councillor, and I can remember him uh, talking to me about that we've got to get this bridge, we've got to get this bridge, but of course we need support from another level of government to make it happen. And it seems to go through cycles. You were also very closely involved with the Norman Street Bridge Project at a time a website was launched. I notice now that council has shut down that website. What should council be doing to really try and get this money for this bridge? The bridge is very critical, especially to the CBD for the revitalisation, because once the bridge is in place, it'll take some of the non-necessary traffic out of the CBT to allow it to become more on-street dining, more opportunities to be vibrant in there. But the thing is, and the bit of the joke at the time was, it couldn't be called a ring road. If you remember back in the early 90s, the council at the time said no ring road, no ring road. Um, I had to call it an orbital road solution. So I think that's a bit of a, a joke that's around as well. But it needs to happen for the whole city. Some residents are claiming it's a bad thing for council to still be meeting during caretaker period. Are councils compelled to meet during caretaker? Yeah, because you're supposed to have a council meeting every month under the Act. It's just that some of the rules change about what decisions can be made, what spends can be made and what contracts can be awarded. But it's difficult as a candidate and being an incumbent that you don't overstep the mark because quickly you'll be jumped on by the CEO who will tell you what you've done wrong. But there's people in the community that watch very, very closely and would be more than happy to actually put a complaint in if you've actually gone too far. Let's talk about the Ipswich West by-election now. The LNP is certainly giving it a good nudge. I've lost count how many visits uh, the Leader of the Opposition has had to Ipswich, including this week with the Queensland Health Crisis Town Hall he had in North Ipswich. Is this the most activity you've seen from the Opposition in West Ipswich West? Absolutely, because they're actually running it like a federal campaign by the amount of work, the time, the effort. But the member the number of opposition people who have come up to actually come and support Darren has been quite a surprise. They've been out door knocking. So it is really got the feel of a federal campaign because the seat itself has had a typical Labor history. Albert Hales, the National Party back in 19, I think it's in the 60s, and then, of course, Jack Papp and then Sean Chope. But the rest of the time it's been established, it's been a Labor seat. So it is quite an interesting turnaround, and they must have a sniff that, you know, that they've got a chance. Does having uh, David Crisofulli here make any impact, or does it make a difference? David I've known for quite some time. Um, I think it shows that they're serious. Um, they've not taken anything for granted. And uh, the Labor Party are exactly the same way. They're not taking it for granted. And they've got as many people. We've had Cameron Dick out here on the ground as well, who's out there trying to support uh, Wendy as well as other ministerial staff and backbenchers to try and make sure it stays in Labor hands. So it's been quite an interesting mix of people coming along. And I'm sure we're seeing the same thing at the by-election down in Nala. Labor's Wendy Bourne is taking the high ground and uh, not openly criticising her opponents that I've seen. Is this a good strategy? I think that's Wendy's nature, and I think people are sick of people fighting and showing in a negative light. And I think what Wendy's trying to do is show the positives 
And I think that's her tactic of going forward is not to create any fuss, but actually seen as a stable type of candidate who uh, will take the criticism but not necessarily throw it. Rusted on Labor voters will obviously support Wendy. Do you think Ipswich West can be considered safe at this by-election? It's got a, a quite a big margin, but I think with the way that the seat has been left vacant for a by-election and what's happening with that member who is now running for council, I think people are a little bit disappointed what's happened. I think they're a little bit disappointed about infrastructure that hasn't happened out this way or work that hasn't been done. So anything is possible. So I wouldn't say yes and I wouldn't say no, but, you know, there only one day that says the polling is right and that's on election day. What are you hearing out and about? The media will have us believe it's about crime, it's about health and cost of living. What are you hearing on the ground? I'm hearing it is about crime, but I'm also hearing about the Mount Crosby interchange. I'm hearing about the intersection out of Willow Bank. I'm hearing about those sort of key issues as well as the crime issue. We don't seem to have... Um, some of the terrible situation that had down at Red Bank Plains here, but it doesn't mean to say it's never going to happen. But it seems to be those issues and health, of course, with Ipswich Hospital, you know, I trained there as a nurse. It, it hasn't grown as much as it should for the size of the city and the catchment that West Morton Health take in. But I'm sure uh, progressive governments coming forward will actually make sure there's more services for the expanding community and the population within and around Ipswich. You've mentioned this just a short time ago, but let's recap the recent history of Ipswich West when it wasn't held by Labor. You mentioned the first one early in the piece. Then there was Jack Paff and Sean Choate. The last two, what were the situation? What was the environment that they got elected? Can you recall? Yeah, I remember with Jack Paff, of course, he was the One Nation candidate who got up and he actually defected over after one year to the City Country Alliance group. So I think people sort of uh, forget that he was a one-term candidate at the time before Don Livingston stood and beat him back in 2001. So he won the seat off Don and Don was able to get the seat back after that. And Sean Choate, very likeable chap. He's running for Mayor of Somerset, interestingly. How did he perform when he was a one-termer? Uh, I think for for Sean, he was there from the 2012 swing. Uh, everyone remembers that, where they talk about the Tarago van for the amount of members that was left because, you know, sometimes you could be a member who's being effective and good, but if the swing is on, it's on. There's nothing that you can do to uh, keep your seat, but... Sean was in there for that uh, one term before he moved out to Somerset. He was a local at the time and had been involved with many organisations and I worked with Sean um, to make sure that our area and our city got what we could. Um, so he'll be a an interesting addition for the Merrill Theatre at Somerset. Cheryl Bromage, thanks again for the insights and thanks for chatting with Ipswich today. No problem. Thanks, Al, and uh, look forward to next time. And that's it for this episode. Just a reminder to look for handy links in the show notes. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. 
This podcast is listener supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswitchtoday.com.au. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio, or play Ipswich Today on smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.